Good to see everyone. <clears throat> Excuse me. Good to see everyone this morning. We're thankful that you can be here. That we are all here. We have a number of visitors with us. We're glad that you're here. Uh, we, several who have been ill or had surgery or are back with us, and we're we're so thankful for that. Continue praying for uh, those who are not yet returned to us, and pray that they <clears throat> will be very soon. But uh, we're thankful that we can all be here today, and to think together, especially about heaven. For some reason, we don't like to say that somebody has died. And so we have invented a variety of euphemisms to say the same thing, but to perhaps soften it in a, a bit of a way. Sometimes we say that someone has passed, or they've passed away, or they've gone on or they have left this life. They've transitioned to eternity. They've entered eternal rest. They've fallen asleep. They've departed this life. And in reference to Christians, we often say that, that person has gone to be with the Lord. But is that an accurate statement? Is it true that when believers take their last breath, that they awaken in the presence of the Lord? Are they with the Lord? Or is there, is there a time in between? Now, as you can well imagine, throughout Christian history, there have been debates about this. One of my earliest uh, member, memories in ministry was attending a, a lectureship, and three very learned brothers got up and presented three different understandings of what happens to us at the time of death. One of them said that we are simply asleep until the second coming. We die and we are asleep until Jesus comes. Another said that we are conscious and alive with God or not, but in an intermediate temporary state. And then at the resurrection, our bodies are reanimated and we stand before God in judgment. And then we go wherever we're going to be for eternity. And the other one said, no, we simply go to heaven at the time of our death, or if we're not going to heaven, we go the other way. And that that's where we are forever. So which is it? I'm not sure that scripture tells us enough information to know whether or not there's some kind of intermediate state. It's certainly not a purgatory, as some talk about it. I'm not sure that it gives us enough information to be really precise, but I'm pretty sure that it doesn't give us a schedule of what we can expect. This happens, and this happens, this happens. I've heard some people speak very confidently and very positively that they know exactly what happens step to step. I don't quite see that in Scripture, but the one thing that is clear to me is that when we die, we do, in fact, go to be with the Lord. We go to be with the Lord, and there we are with Him throughout eternity. Now, let me explain to you why I believe that. First of all, it's based on what Jesus said to that dying criminal who was crucified with him. You remember that in Luke chapter 23, verses 42 and 43. Jesus was crucified between two criminals, two really bad actors. Some translations call them thieves, but the, the word actually is, is more severe than that. And they probably were insurrectionists, perhaps even murderers. These were bad characters. 
And Jesus was crucified between the two of them. And as they were hanging there, one of the gospels says that both of them were railing at Jesus. Both of them were kind of hurling insults at him. Not only the, the people that crucified him, but the people who were crucified with him. And finally, one of them begins to see something that the other one didn't see. And he said, why are you doing that? He said, don't you fear God? He said, seeing that we're under the same sentence of condemnation. And we indeed justly, but this man has done nothing wrong. And then he turned to Jesus and he said, Jesus, remember me when you come in to your kingdom. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now, I'm not sure what that man thought he was asking for. I'm not sure what that request meant to him. What did he understand about the kingdom? We have no indication that he had ever heard Jesus speak or preach about the kingdom. But at least it shows us that he believed that Jesus had a future. And he believed that Jesus had a future kingdom. And he wanted to be part of it. That much at least we know. But look at what he got. He got a lot more than he asked for, didn't he? Instead of just being remembered, that's all he asked. Instead of just being remembered, Jesus said, Today you will be with me in paradise. Not sometime in the future, but today. He's looking at him and saying, Brother, your blessing is just around the corner. You're going to be with me in paradise today, not somewhere in a kingdom that he couldn't imagine in some vague unknown place, but he says with me, and we've already talked about that, haven't we? What is heaven? It's being with Christ. It's being with God. He said, you're going to be with me. And then he said, not in some unknown realm, some veil of shadow, you're going to be with me in paradise. Well, that raises the question, doesn't it? What's paradise? Where's that? You may be aware that the Old Testament doesn't have a whole lot to say about the afterlife. There are several passages that, that refer to it, some of them kind of obliquely, but it doesn't, doesn't give us a lot of specific information. And so there were a lot of, of Jews who didn't believe that there was one. We know from the New Testament that the Sadducees of Jesus' day did not believe in an afterlife. It's one of the ways that they differed from the Pharisees. But a lot of people did. The Pharisees were one. The common people generally, as far as we can tell, did. They believed that there was an afterlife. But what was it like? The Old Testament didn't give them a lot to go on. The only place of perfection that they knew anything about was in Genesis. It was the Garden of Eden. And so a lot of them, not all, but a lot of them began to conceptualize of the afterlife of heaven, as we would call it, as a garden. And this word paradise is not a Hebrew word it, it's, or a Greek word. It, it's a Persian word, and it means a garden. And so they began to think of heaven as a garden and to refer to it as paradise. Now, in 2 Corinthians 12, 3, Paul speaks about being caught up into paradise. Paul went there and came back. Paul went there and came back. But in the verse before that, he refers to going to the third heaven. Now, I don't know if the third heaven equals paradise or not. We're not told much about those first, second, and third heavens, but it 
sounds very similar, sounds like very much the same thing, but it does show us that Paul equated paradise with heaven. Revelation 2.7 supports that idea that paradise is heaven. It says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Where's the tree of life? According to the end of the book of Revelation, it's in heaven. So the tree of life is in the paradise of God. The paradise of God is heaven. So what Jesus promised that man that day was that before the day was over, they would both be in heaven because that's where Jesus was going. Today you will be with me in paradise. Not someday you're going to be okay. Someday it's going to be better. But today you're going to be with me in paradise. Second reason I believe that when we die we go to be with the Lord has to do with the story of the rich man and Lazarus. That very vivid, well-known story found in Luke chapter 16 verses 19 to 31. There was a certain rich man, and he dressed in nice clothes, and he ate well. That's about all we're told about him. Except that at his gate, as he was eating well, there is a poor beggar named Lazarus who is ill and covered in sores, and the dogs are coming and licking his sores, and that rich man is oblivious to him. He pays no attention to him. He doesn't offer to help him. He doesn't have any food sent to him or anything. He does not, absolutely nothing to help him. And then they both die. They both die. Verse 22 of, Acts, of Luke 16 says, The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. That's the English Standard Version. Literally, the text says... To Abraham's bosom. What's that about? Well, you remember that in ancient times, people, when they were at a dinner, were reclining. They weren't sitting in chairs like we would. They would recline on their elbow. And so one person's head would be very close to another person's shoulder. You remember that about Jesus and, and the disciple whom he loved that we're told about in John 13, verse 25, when the discussion arose about who's going to betray Jesus and the disciple whom Jesus loved, it says, Reclined his head on Jesus' bosom. He just leaned over. You see, a lot of folks had come to conceptualize of heaven as a banquet. A heavenly banquet. And of course, for any Jew, who's going to be at the head table? Abraham, of course. And so when Jesus says that the poor man died and he was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom, what it's telling us is he's there at the table of honor, in the place of honor, reclining his head on Abraham's bosom. Now, that may not mean a whole lot to us. You know, I don't have a whole lot of, of joy at the thought of trying to eat my fried chicken with my head on some man's shoulder. <laughs> I'm sorry, I just don't. That, that doesn't speak to me. But let me tell you, if you're a Jew... Having your head on Abraham's bosom, that's Jewish heaven, folks. That's what he's talking about. That's, that's as good as it gets. And so he's reclining on Abraham's bosom. In other words, he is in heaven with him. Because for any Jew, the one person who would most certainly be in heaven is going to be Abraham. Now, the verse after that, verse 23, says the rich man also died and in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off at Lazarus' side. 
Now, Hades does not mean hell. Hades means death. It means the place of the dead. It's sometimes used as a, as a reference to the grave. It's where the dead are. It, it doesn't have a, either a negative or positive connotation in the term itself. But in this case, it does, doesn't it? Because he is in Hades in torment. There's another word for hell that's quite clear and quite distinctive, the word Gehenna. That's not used here. But nevertheless, he is in torment, and he lifts up his eyes, and he sees Lazarus in Abraham's bosom. So the rich man is in torment. He wasn't just dead. He's certainly not asleep. He's certainly not asleep. Now, some propose that both Lazarus and the rich man were in an intermediate state, and that that's why the word Hades is used, that they were both in Hades, but that there are, as I've heard it described, two compartments of Hades. It's like they are duplexes, and one side is where people go to be blessed, and the other side is where they go to be punished, and then, then there is the resurrection and the judgment, and then you go back to a place of punishment or back to a place of blessing. That's what some people say. Scripture doesn't say that in this instant, but that's what a lot of folks think. We can't rule out that possibility, but nothing actually says it either. And notice that the text doesn't say that, that, Hades, uh, that Lazarus was in Hades. It doesn't say that. But that's what it says about the rich man. Now, either way, though, both Lazarus and the rich man were where they were going immediately after death. The poor man dies, wakes up in Abraham's bosom. Lazarus dies. Lazarus dies, wakes up in Abraham's bosom. The rich man dies, wakes up in torment. Somebody says, but that's just a parable. I've heard that argument. You can't make anything of that. That's just a parable. Well, see, here's the problem with that. What did Jesus use the parables for? To teach truth. So why would he teach something that was not true? In this parable. I don't think it works to say that's just a parable. Why would he say in this parable that they wake up where they're going in eternity if that's not what actually happens? But then my third reason, and this is to me the most compelling, is that I believe we go directly to be with the Lord because of something Paul said that you heard read just a minute ago. Philippians 1 verses 21 to 23. Little context, Paul is in prison. It hurts him to be there. There are some people who are taking advantage of the situation now that Paul is out of the way. And they're preaching Christ, he says, out of envy and rivalry, thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. But thank God, he said, others are, are emboldened by my imprisonment and they're preaching Christ more. He said, either way, at least Christ is preached and that I rejoice. And then he starts talking about Himself. He talks, talk, starts talking about his preferences, what he would rather do. And he said, I'm, I'm hard-pressed between the two. Hard-pressed between the two. He says to depart and be with Christ is far better. But if I stay in the flesh, I can continue to be here on your account. I can continue to be here to minister to you. And he said, I think that's what's going to happen is I'm going to stay and minister to you. And he makes that great statement, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. 
What does he mean by that? To die is gain. Why is it a gain? Because he's torn between the two possibilities. And verse 23 answers it. The desire is to depart and be with Christ because that's far better. It's obvious that Paul believed that when he died, he would be with Christ. And it just doesn't get any better than that. Now, he doesn't say, my desire is to depart and immediately be with Christ, but he also didn't say, my desire is to depart and be unconscious for three or 4,000 years. He says, my desire is to depart and be with Christ. And what he says corresponds with Revelation 7. You remember that, where John sees the numberless multitude, and they're already in the presence of God? They've already come through the great tribulation, as also in chapter 12, he sees the souls under the altar. Where is that altar? It's in heaven. And they've already washed their robes in the, in the blood of the Lamb, and they're already there. They're already in heaven with God. And so what Paul says corresponds with John's visions. But then somebody says, but what about 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 16, and 1 Corinthians eleven thirty, 30, and 1 Corinthians 15, 6, and 15, 20? All of those are places where Paul speaks of the dead as being asleep. Ah, oh, asleep. Here we go. Why does he say that they're asleep if, in fact, they are conscious? Doesn't that prove that there is an intermediate unconscious state? The answer is no, not at all. You see, they are asleep from the perspective of the living. That's how they look to us. That's all we know. That's all we can see. They're asleep. It's also appropriate to say that they're asleep because what's going to happen to them? They're going to wake up. In the day of resurrection, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 says, but again, that's from a human perspective, sleeping and waking up. But Paul did not say, I look forward to dying and sleeping for two or 3,000 years and then seeing the Lord. He never said anything like that. Jesus didn't tell that dying thief several millennia from now, you'll be with me in paradise. He said, today, you'll be with me in paradise. That's the promise. And that's our hope, isn't it? That's our hope. That's what all of us are, are living for, are living in anticipation of, unless we're still living when the Lord comes, which would be even better. But if we're not still living when the Lord comes, then our anticipation is that when we draw our last breath, the next thing we know, we're in the presence of God and of Jesus. That's our hope, not just for our loved ones who've gone on, died, for those who've passed away, but also for ourselves. And once we fall asleep in death, we awaken in the presence of the Lord. We are in heaven. I want to ask you a question this morning. What would you give in the last moment of your life to hear Jesus say, today, you will be with me in paradise. What would you give? I promise you that when you're ready to draw that last breath, and you know you're about to draw your last breath, you'd give anything you had, ever had, ever wished you had, to hear those words, today you'll be with me in paradise. But the problem is, at that moment, there's not anything you can do 
that would make that happen. But there's something you can do right now that will. You can die with Christ and give your life to him. That's what he wants you to give is your life. You can put your trust in him today. And you can decide that you're turning away from sin, repenting. And you can be baptized into his death and raised in the likeness of his resurrection to walk in newness of life and continue following him for the rest of your days and heaven will be yours. You will pass away here and you will awaken in his presence. I know that's what you want. I know that's what we all want. Why not take that promise for yourself today? Let's stand and sing.